1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Barber, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with around 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
2: And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider and also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Good to be here today, guys.
1: Yeah, we're excited to have everybody here today. Excited to have you listening today to our weekly radio show we're right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can uh, pick us up on our website, moneymd.net, where we're streaming there. And you can also uh, link to our podcast there. So you can listen to us anytime um straight off yeah. of uh listen to, to all of our shows
2: make it easy money we have a link going to our podcast so
1: exactly exactly you can also listen on your smartphone download the tune in radio app and um you know you can also find us on itunes uh our, our podcast there so just search for money md so there you go email us your questions we'd love to hear from you you can email us at info at money and guys we have a great show lineup for today good stuff here um Coming to you from the Money Doctors. That's
2: right. Starting oh. off the uh, the year here on fire.
1: We are. I mean, first we're going to start off here with the four dangerous <clears throat> assumptions that could wreck your retirement. You got to pay attention to these. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I can't tell you how common these are. We run across people that make these assumptions. So. Tune into this. I mean, this is this is interesting stuff.
2: Open up our playbook again, aren't it's, we?
1: This is important stuff. It we're is. Giving away the secrets as you would. <laughs>
3: and, we, you know, we've been talking about international uh, issues and just different things going on for the last several weeks. And today we're going to focus on uh, how the, the global economy is starting to get a little momentum and how the U.S. is leading the way. So that'll be in our second segment.
1: Yeah, interesting stuff.
2: Yeah, we're going to close out with, um, guys, you know, there's a, a recent survey, and uh, this this survey did, uh, or they looked at uh, market predictions from 68 experts, and there were about over 6,000 forecasts that they looked at, and guess what the accuracy rate was? Uh, about the flip of a coin? Yeah, about the flip of a coin, a little less than that, actually. Amazing, so, isn't all it? All these people out there that are professing to know which way oil is going to go or interest rates or the stock market, I'm sorry, but they're full of it. They have no clue which way it's going.
1: Well, you just gave away the teaser for your segment now. I mean, I don't even know. I, know. Gee, you, I gave you gave away more than a teaser. You
2: gave away the answer. I'm going to give some of the names, though. How's that?
1: There you go. Yeah, I mean, that's a, great, that's, a gr- that's a great study that we're looking at here, and that'll be very, very interesting. So stay tuned for that. Okay, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial
2: fact of the week. Yeah, this has to do with inflation. This comes from the uh, Department of Labor and Inflation. um, If you go back 50 years, um, it's been about a little bit over 4%. So that's kind of been the average. Uh, However, we've been kind of in a, a low inflationary environment. The last 10 years, it's only been about 2%. So... You know, when you look at the difference of inflation, it makes a huge impact. I know we're going to it talk does. about this in a minute, but if you were to buy a gallon of milk today and there was only 2% inflation over 20 years, that gallon of milk would be about $6 in 20 years. So 2% makes a little bit it of a difference. It
1: still makes some difference.
2: If it's a 4% uh, inflation rate, that $4 gallon of milk goes up to $9 per gallon. So wow. inflation makes a huge difference in there. It's something to you know, you've got to pay attention to. Very, now, is very
3: that old 2% milk or whole milk? <laughs> <laughs>
2: it is skim milk, actually, pal. There you go. uh, good got question, you. though. I got you. Yeah,
3: That's
1: a good question. <laughs> yeah, almost got to stump him there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, e- th- th- inflation is very, very important. That leads us right up to our first segment, and that is the four dangerous assumptions that can wreck your retirement. <laughs> you know, assumptions are very, very important. Inflation is one of those. But, you know, in, in 1973, remember the odd couple episode well you probably don't remember i was 10 i don't know about you guys but uh but still you know you remember the saying and the attorney was in the courtroom there in the setting he made the famous distinction of how you never assume anything because when you do you break that word down into those unpleasant parts <laughs> i didn't know if you were going there or not <laughs> i am assuming you're familiar with the saying of course yes Okay, most people are. So, yeah, assumptions are one of those innocent things that seem like a small issue when you're planning, but nothing that could be further from the truth. When you're planning for your future, assumptions are everything. And your motto has to be, you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. You plan too high for returns, and the plan really is useless. You plan too little for inflation, you could be eating beans and rice in your 80s. -hmm. Um, So these are very, very important. You know, by the time a retiree usually figures out their plans in trouble, unfortunately, it's too late to, to correct it, and you're spending less or working longer are really your only viable options. So assumptions are very, very important. So here are some of the common and dangerous assumptions that people make when planning for retirement, as well as the steps to take to avoid those. So assumption number one is that the stock market and bond market returns will be like their long-term history. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, most retirement calculators uh, ask you to estimate what your portfolio return will be over your holding period. And it may be tempting to give those numbers a little nudge upward, you know, to help the hard choices, avoid the hard choices like deferring your retirement or spending less. But you need to think twice about
2: that. Yeah, no doubt, to be sure. I mean, you look at stock market, you look at the long-term gains, and, and they certainly have been pretty robust. You look at the S&P 500, and uh, historically, uh, you know, going back 100 years, it's averaged about 10%. And you look back over the last 20 years, and it's been in the same ballpark. But, um, guys, as we know, there's certain stretches that um that are not kind and um it can really damper your uh, your retirement piece of it back uh, at the decade that ended uh, in 2009 um, some people called it the lost decade the uh, s p 500 actually lost money on an annualized basis so there are time periods that you're investing that um it's not going to be the historical norms and, and no one can predict what it's going to be in the future so it's it's wise to be more a little bit more conservative when you're looking at that
1: yeah, so that's a great point. And so, what do you do instead? Um, first, I mean, you you want to make sure that you that you're following some reasonable metrics. Um, and the reasonable metrics about the markets today suggest investors should ratchet down their projections a little bit, you know, somewhat just to be safe. I mean, Morningstar equity strategist uh, Matt kafina has said that long-term equity returns in the 45 to 6% range are realistic.
2: Now, that's after inflation, right? That's
1: after inflation. I right. think that's right. And then um, Vanguard founder Jack Bogle, he forecasts real equity returns, again, after inflation in that same ballpark, four and a half six percent 6% range. So hopefully it's going to be a lot more than that, but you better plan for that on the safe side. You know, I think, you know, 5 to 8%, you know, Pre-inflation, I think, is kind of a, a safe estimate for mm-hmm. planning um, for a diversified portfolio. But still, you just want to be on the safe side with that.
3: Yeah, when you're talking about um, your bond portfolio, you should be even a little more conservative than that. You know, um, starting yields have historically been a good predictor of what bonds might earn over the next decade. And right now, they're pretty meager, you know, anywhere from 2 to 3% uh, for most high-quality bonds, That that is. Um, that translate translate into you know basically barely even a, a return at all after inflation you know, yeah. yeah after inflation yeah take pretty that into pretty pretty flat
1: pretty flat after inflation definitely that's a good point yeah and by the way I mean this this comes from a Morningstar article um, by Christine Benz and uh, you know very interesting stuff here so that was assumption number one the stock and bond market returns won't will be like their long term history. You want to be conservative on those estimates for returns. Second one though is that inflation will be mild or non existent. Well as John just mentioned in our fact of the week here, I mean inflation for the last ten years has only been what, two point one percent. Right. Right. Um so that's pretty mild, but you know, the benign inflation figures we have today, um in fact for twenty fourteen was less than one percent for the CPI It may be tempting to ignore, you know, inflation altogether or downplay it. I mean, the role of inflation in retirement planning is very, very important. So just like the robust return assumptions, modest inflation assumptions, they can put a happy face on retirement plan, but it can also be very, very misleading. Well, the reality of that is that, you know,
3: things are going to turn around. Exactly. It's going to change.
1: It's going to change. You know, it's not going to be. They're not going to be low forever. You know, history was what over four percent for mm-hmm. inflation. Yeah, that's right. So, should inflation be hotter than you anticipate in the years leading up to and in retirement, then you'll need to have set aside a lot more money and invested more aggressively in order to preserve your purchasing power when you begin to spend your portfolio. So what should you do rather than that? Um, you should be making assumptions about inflation that will be good uh, in the, the the low years running up to retirement and that inflation, you know, is going to be um, more like long-term average. So you need to be conservative with those numbers, okay? Because if you're a conservative investor, you're not going to be returning with bond yields what they used to be. Back, You know, mm-hmm. 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, no doubt. Right? So three, three and a half percent, I think, is a reasonable starting point with inflation. Um, you know, to the extent that you can, investors should customize their inflation forecast, um, you know, kind of look at a basket of what you have. That's kind of hard to do, though. So I think really you just have to use some conservative numbers when you're yeah. back in inflation. And
2: it's amazing how much difference. If you use 1% or 3% in a, in a retirement plan, it, it makes all the difference in the world. So using a higher inflation rate is a more conservative approach. So that's definitely good advice.
1: Yeah. So just want to be conservative with those numbers. Okay. So we'll continue with this when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call during regular business hours at 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Money,
3: money, money, money. Money.
1: Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbot, a certified financial planner. Now here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates, and we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the four dangerous assumptions that could wreck your retirement, um, guys. You know, yeah, we talked about the old 1973 Odd Couple episode, you know, where a lawyer in a courtroom breaks that that that. We're down into its unpleasant part. Assume, right? Assume, <clears throat> yeah. right? So you don't want to assume anything. Well, you've got to make some assumptions when you're talking about retirement planning, but you need to be careful about assumptions because assumptions are very, very important, as we mentioned, particularly in retirement planning. We run these numbers and we see it. You know, when you plug in a conservative um, uh, inflation number, for instance, as opposed to uh, a more aggressive or very low inflation number, then it makes a huge difference yeah. twenty years out. Oh, it really
2: does. Plan. And we look at it look at these over forty years. So. Yeah,
1: I mean it changes everything when you're talking about thirty, forty years out. So you have to be very careful about these assumptions. And returns are the same way. You know, you assume eight percent return versus six percent return, it changes everything mm-hmm. when you start projecting it way out. So you gotta be careful. First one we talked about was in fact um returns. Stock market's been rosy in the past. You know, at times and particularly when you start looking over the last thirty, forty years, you gotta be careful about that. You need to be conservative on those returns, particularly bonds. Bonds are very, very low today. Their yields are relative to where they've been in history. Um that means you have to tamp down your returns. So if you have a conservative portfolio you certainly need to tamp down the returns mm-hmm. relative to history. Right. And, and you know, the same thing is true about inflation. Inflation has been very, very mild over the last 10 years in general, only coming around 2%, a little over 2%. Um, but if you look back, you know, longer periods of time, 40, 50 years –
2: the number's a lot higher. Yeah, it's been closer to four.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think you need to fall somewhere in the middle there, three, three and a half percent on your inflation assumptions. Um, nobody knows. We can't predict the future, and we don't mean to try to predict the future here. Yeah. But we're just saying be conservative on your planning. Don't fall in the trap of making your plan work by by tweaking the numbers. So that leads up to assumption number three, which is that you'll be able to work past age 65, Again, you know, um, never mind how you feel about working longer, financial merits are irrefutable. You know, if you work longer, you continued to uh, make contributions to your portfolio, um, delayed withdrawals, delayed Social Security filings. These are all can greatly enhance your retirement picture. Given that, it should come as no surprise that older adults are pushing back as on their planned retirement dates. Whereas just 11 percent of individuals surveyed in 1991 um, thought that they were going to retire after age 65, that percentage has tripled to 33 percent in last year's survey um, by the um, Employee Benefit Research Institute. Their survey respondents said they plan. Some of them said they never retire. They plan to never retire. In 1999, it was just 5 percent that planned to never retire. Today, it's 10 percent. That are planning to never retire
2: yeah i think it's a sign of the times the, the great recession that we went through really changed a lot of people's um perspective and it outlooks did. on things and it's it's in some cases very negative
1: it did. It did. So with that in mind, you know, there appears to be a disconnect between pre-retirees' plans to delay retirement and whether they actually do. You know, while a third of the workforce in just last year's survey said they planned to work past age 65, just 16 percent of, of retirees said they had actually retired after age 65. So about half of what who planned to were able to work past age 65. And a much larger contingent, 32%, retired between ages of 30 between 60 and 64. Even though just 18% actually had planned to retire that early, so it just goes to show you, you know. Well, you know, now
3: the question is, what what do you do instead? You know, while uh, working longer can deliver the financial trifecta um, for your retirement plan, like you said, Steve, such as you know, higher pension. Uh, more savings and more social security it's a mistake to assume that you'll be able to do so if you run the numbers and it looks like you'll fall short you can plan to work a little longer while also pursuing other measures such as increasing your savings rate or you know scaling back what you plan to spend in retirement Uh, and at a minimum give your post age 65 income projections a little bit of a trim there you know don't 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 project too high you know a lot of times what we're talking about here with some of these assumptions is just make sure you you uh you default on the more conservative side Mm -hmm. of things than over projecting
1: exactly exactly good advice okay so that was number three and then the last assumption here that is dangerous for you is that you'll receive an inheritance you know we hear this from time to time (laughs) here's the good news you know while it is a uh, convention in movies for children to be crestfallen when their parents don't leave them an inheritance. A recent study shows that those surprises are relatively rare. In fact, the study found that just the opposite scenario is common. More parents intend to leave children in inheritance than the children actually expect to receive one. In fact, a fidelity study found, survey found that adult children underestimate the value of their parents' inheritance to the tune of about $300,000 on average. So, yeah, so people are, consume, are assuming a lot worse with inheritance than reality.
2: I, I know one thing when we do planning, um, we generally do not include inheritance in there. You just don't True. know. The parents you uh, could live longer and use it up, have medical issues. So, you know, being conservative and not including that is, I think, what you're alluding to here. But uh, it's dangerous if you do put it into your retirement plan and it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, and that that brings up my next point, and that is – you know, there there are certainly some children that receive less than they expect to. You know, you have increased longevity combined with long-term care needs and rising long-term care costs means that, you know, even though parents intend to leave their children in inherited assets, um, they may not be able to. So, alternatively, parents may not be inclined to give them at all, you know, even though even if they have the money. A U.S. Trust survey found that wealthy baby boomers are less likely than other generations to believe in leaving money to their heirs. <clears throat> just 53% of those baby boomers that were wealthy surveyed said they believe in leaving inheritance as important, whereas 66% of high net worth investors over age 69 said that they thought it was important to do so. so. But those numbers are coming down, so you just have to be aware. Yeah. You know, people don't eh, don't value it quite as much as they used to. Really. Yeah,
2: and, and so here's here's the issue um, with adult children If they do expect and they do plan on receiving an inheritance. Basically, what they'll do is they'll overspend today and undersave during their peak earning years. Then, you know, if they if they don't get the inheritance. It's too late to make it up. I mean, they've they've uh, they passed and they've crossed that bridge, and there's no making that time up and saving. So, you know, it just it's not wise to include uh, inheritance in your in your retirement plan. It just may not happen.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the moral of the story too. Is you know you you got to be conservative once again. Don't rely on unknown unknowns. You know, if you're incorporating and expecting inheritance in your retirement plan, it's wise to. To, to be conservative on that and to you know start communicating that early and make sure that that it's really going to materialize that's kind of the bottom line here okay guys um good topic that leads us up here to our question of the week
2: yeah this question actually came from a conversation with uh, a gentleman that that called in uh, to our office this last week and Basically, it was you know what is a SEP plan? SEP. It's a simplified employee pension plan. And uh, he was just asking some questions about it. He was changing jobs, and uh, he was going to work for another company that didn't have a retirement plan. um, But he was trying to figure out could he you know actually invest in a SEP? And because he's an employee of the other of the other company, he couldn't. If he's an individual and is a 1099 type employee that he has his own company. That would be a good good you know, possibility for a SEP plan. So it's for individual business owners, small business owners, as a way to save for retirement.
1: Yeah, the tricky thing about a SEP, I think, is that you have to make it's – a, a, it's a company contribution. Right. So whatever percentage you give yourself, you have to give it to all your employees, that same percentage. So it doesn't work really well then for somebody that has maybe 10 employees in a mm-hmm. company – because even though they want to give themselves, you know, more of their money and defer taxes, they have to do that for everybody, and it gets really expensive. So for people that have a lot of employees or a number of employees, a simple IRA usually ends up being better because uh, that plan, you you know, you have to do a 3% match, mm-hmm. but that's it. Um, but for a SEP, if you're self-employed, a SEP is a great plan because yeah. you can go all the way up to 53000 a can. year.
2: T- up to 25% of your income, up to 53000 so... It's a great place to save if you're an individual small business owner. Um, you know, there's no um, administration to it. Uh, if you do a 401K, you have to have an administ- administrator, and it's increased cost and so forth. It's a great option for small businesses. You mentioned the simple plan is another option for small businesses as well. Right. So a couple different things to, to look at.
1: And both of those have virtually no administration costs. They're, right. they're, as the name implies, they are simple. It's just a government form. You just fill it out, and you know open an account at a financial institution and yep you're 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 rolling
2: yep so make it easy
1: yeah so that's a great topic you know and taxes are really really important so you got to make sure you take advantage of that retirement plan so figure out one that works for you if you're not contributing through your company at least open a you know individual ira roth ira make those contributions so the money doctors highly encourage that all right, and that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and g News. Stay with us.
3: Welcome
1: back. Money MD, or the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Margaret, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to continue our discussion here with a new topic, and that is the U.S. is leading the way in economic growth. Um, you know, a good article out of Bloomberg here talking about. I mean, how the U.S. really is the, carrying the ball here.
3: Well, you know, some, some economists feel like, uh, you know, that we're actually starting to gain some momentum here um, economically, you know, globally speaking, and, uh, you know, that maybe the scare's kind of gone by us just a bit. But, you know, even as bond yields hover at record lows alongside, you know, sliding inflation, the world economy is on track to strengthen with the U.S. kind of leading the way. Uh, also, you know, with cheaper oil and cash and currency providing lifts elsewhere throughout the world, so
1: yeah, I hope that's true because you know i'm i'm pretty anxious to see world economies international economies right. start picking up too and not dragging down the u s and there apparently, there are some signs of that i mean with you know signs of the healthier outlook and the central banks rushing to to ease monetary policies and to you know kind of help prop up prices if you will. Um, that has comforted investors and the group of G, uh, the group of twenty financial chiefs that met recently here in Istanbul um, you know basically uh, they 're saying the distractions even amid the distractions in Greece and Russia uh, some of them are predicting you know better times ahead. Um, Bank of America is predicting stocks will outperform bonds this year. Um, some G20 policymakers are concerned inflation won't turn around, but you know what's in the pipeline does look more promising in terms of growth and inflation than it has before, according to the chief international economist at Dutch Bank and the former uh, International Monetary Fund forecasters. So you know there are some rosier predictions out there.
3: Yeah, and he you know he also estimates that the world economy could grow. By as much as 3.6 percent this year, which would be the fastest pace since 2011, and just a bit quicker than the 3.5 percent stated by the IMF last month when it cut its outlook by, you know, the most in three years, uh, at hedge fund SLJ Marco Partners in London. Their co-founder Stephen Jin is among those betting on a converge up scenario in which the resurgence of the US economy will hopefully stoke the fires of international expansion
2: yeah that's right you know the when you look at the the global economy that was certainly the the top item at the um, the g20 g20 meetings they had this last week and um, you know the officials there welcomed the ongoing favorable outlook for both growth and employment in some of the key economies. Um, they did note that there was some slow uh, expansion in, in the euro area in Japan, but they were still, you know, positive overall. And, right. you know, the gathering followed a high note at the end of the week. U.S. employers have taken on a, a million new workers. so a strong jobs report. Um, biggest three-month increase in uh, in payroll in like 17 years. Uh, we saw average hourly earnings uh, jump about a half a percent. And, um, you know, we'll have to see how these numbers um, will, you know, potentially be revised. but there's some positive things out there. We've talked about the currency as well uh, potentially being positive for the eurozone as well, but there's some risk, right? It, well, absolutely. And then, you know, you always have Russia in the mix whenever
3: you're talking yeah. about our yeah. global economy. Mr. Putin. That's right. And you know, they they greatly affect the euro uh, area. And and its fragile recovery is is clouded by trading disruptions that, you know, they've Impose sanctions against president putin and russia and then you also have the risk of greece uh, which is on the edge of financial crisis that will force it out of the uh, potential currency block you know such as the um the euro conglomerate there that they have so and you know many say that the the greece situation is very very serious so we'll see you know um Eric Nielsen, which is chief global economist at Unicredit Bank in London, he said, My biggest concern is not Greece, but Russia. Uh, I don't know where it will go from here, but Putin's mysterious game plan must rank as the single biggest risk to uh, Europe and global growth. So. Yeah,
1: Mr.
2: Putin's been a cog in everybody's wheel here in the yeah, past it's, year or so. It's kind of been a thud uh, for a lot of people, but you know there are some economists out there, guys, that are uh, have a more bullish scenario. Uh, they call it a good rotation in which the, the European area, uh, Japan economies would accelerate towards a 2% growth rate, and um, that's still a little bit less than what they're seeing in the U.S., but um, probably a faster growth rate than what the U.S. would be based on where they are right now. So there's some positive signs, positive forecast.
1: Yeah, and on the bright side, let's talk about oil. I mean, oil has been a real bright spot in most people's economy here recently, and, you know, at about half the price it was last June, that can contribute a lot to the spending power of companies and households. That They say... Between sixty and seventy dollars a barrel would add point five percent or a half percent to GDP growth this year and next. According next, that's right. And next, according to Capital Economics Ltd in London, so you know at the prices um, that it's at today, it would be even more stimulus. So that that's a big positive. And then also, I mean, central banks have you know begun easing uh, to combat deteriorating inflation and by cutting the benchmark rates um since the beginning of, of two thousand fifteen across the European Union. And the European Central Bank announced a one point one trillion dollar euro package to uh f- asset purchases. So basically they're doing their own um QE three mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there um in Europe and China last week also reduced the amount of, uh, of of cash lenders that they must keep on hand amount of cash they must keep on hand yeah, for the sure. lenders so all those things are positive developments really for the global economy
3: well Bank of America uh chief investment strategist Michael Harnett predicts victory says you know for the central banks after they cut rates five hundred and forty two times can you believe that <laughs> you know and That's a lot. boost the amount of assets they hold to twenty two point five trillion since 2008 collapse of Lehman Brothers. Uh, That should spur some gains in stocks and bond yields and the dollar, he said, in a February 4th um, report that they put out.
2: Yeah. And uh, looking at currencies, we mentioned that a minute ago, um, you know, laxer monetary policies have led to weaker exchange rates versus the dollar um, that help make exporters in many countries much more competitive. So you look at the euro area, for example, the single currency has fallen about 11 percent um over the last year i mean that's a huge huge impact and and um, more this year that's right i mean it's continuing to uh to to fall but um you know at some point these things like we've talked about before they they do correct themselves and they come back they um and and so forth but uh they basically figure a oil uh, the euro and yields combined could add 1.75 percent to the european gdp Uh, over the first year and in the u.s they're saying you know the u.s is facing a rising dollar which makes our goods more expensive overseas but uh, with the lower oil um, prices it could help it by a by a percent so a lot of things going on out there a lot of people trying to predict and figure out where this is going um there's some positives and some negatives like there always is well there's definitely a lag there before we start seeing some increased spending, you
3: know, some of that money is going to have to get a little further down the line, you know, like you were saying before, Mm -hmm. they're able to start purchasing some of the other things. So, you know, it's not just the economists uh, that are upbeat, you know, for the first time in five years. Um, A a gentleman that's with uh, Honeywell International, and they work in the the aerospace and energy sector, Uh, David Coat, he says, you know, for the first time in five years, I'm actually a little more bullish on the global economy uh, than some of the economic forecasters. So there are signs, you know, that things are definitely I moving can, in the right
2: right i kind of like when um industries are doing predictions because they're kind of they have feet on the ground they yeah. have sales yeah. people out Boots there all, yeah, but, that's right yeah these economists out there that you know they're looking at all macro data but
1: they are i mean data you can you can pretty much make data say anything you want to <laughs> right yeah. i've heard of this the old saying is if you hold data hostage long enough It'll confess anything you want it to. <laughs> yeah. So you know. So yeah, I mean, so that, I, the data kind of loses me a little bit when you start talking about all this data. But just to kind of wrap this up, guys, you know there are some positives out there. European in, in Europe, you know, they're hiring more than they have um, since the middle of 2011. Manufacturing's picking up. I think the stronger dollar is helping that and beginning to help that. We also have U.S. imports. Um, that have been good news for the rest of the world. I mean, eleven point five trillion in two thousand thirteen. U.S. personal <clears> consumption <throat> expenditures were larger than the GDP of any country um, that year, according to uh, you know this this Commerce Department report that was released. So there are a lot of positive things.
2: Yeah, and I think you know we we talk about these items because they're of interest. We get questions on them from clients and and so forth. Um, certainly not trying to predict anything here. Generally speaking, I mean, most people should not make decisions off of this. They should have no. a plan, you know, contribute towards that plan, have emergency funds. No one knows which direction the markets are going to go. They just don't. This is; These are all data points.
1: Plus, all this information is already priced in the stock market. That's the important thing. This isn't secret. Right, you know, the stock right. market's already respo- reacted to all this information. So if you're looking at all this data, trying to figure out where the stock market's going to go tomorrow, you're wasting your time. Yeah. It's going to be new information that comes out tomorrow that's going to affect the market. And it can change very, very quickly, as we've all seen. Yeah.
3: Well, we'll see that whenever we uh, come back in just a bit and we talk Yeah, about John's yeah. topic here. So that's right. Great right. segue exactly. the exactly. exactly. there.
1: <clears throat> the, yeah, that's going to be a great topic here coming right up. But first, we have a break. So if you would, stay with us. Um, if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages.
3: Money, money, money.
1: Welcome back to Money MD. Where the Money Doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is the Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to um, start a new topic here. Uh, but first, we have the prescription of the week.
2: Yes, we do, Steve. Um, we're talking about taxes. Uh, you know, getting a refund, starting to get into, um, you know, tax tax season a little yes, bit. It and is. uh You know, some people like getting refunds. They'll take that and they'll go on a vacation or they'll go buy mm-hmm. new furniture or whatever. But they blow it. But they blow it. That's right. And it, they really don't hit a goal that is critical to their family's uh, future. So here's here's the prescription. If you are getting a refund, um, go immediately and change the amount that's being withheld from your check. Get that money in there on a monthly basis. Take that and put it towards an emergency fund, paying off debt. Um, if you've got through some of those steps, it's okay to go spend some of it. But having some of those critical steps lined up at the beginning, it just gives you a foundation. You know. I would say increase your Roth contribution. There you go. By the amount that you lower. Yep. Your,
1: your, your Make it immediately go somewhere and do something positive. Don't just blow it. Don't absorb it.
2: Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right.
1: Put it to good use. Put it to good use, yeah, for your financial future. Pay yourself for your future for future good, good prescription of the week. I like it all right, and that leads up to our last topic here, and that is gurus achieve an astounding an astounding accuracy result this in this amazing. recent study it 's uh, amazing how much these guys are so smart they have a, 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 have accomplished a forty seven point four percent accuracy rate in all of their their predictions so, in this study uh, this huge collection of uh, basically being know, predictions out so, there, market predictions. So you're telling me
2: they could have flipped a coin and done better?
1: <laughs> really? Yeah, we're talking about market predictions here, and it is pretty amazing how lousy they
2: are. Yeah, this comes from uh, a, a Forbes article, and, and the results are in, guys, and, and they are bad. Um you know people make decisions on headlines and forecast all of the time they do i mean yeah. and what we tell what our advice is is turn the noise off it's just noise no one can predict this stuff and this study just confirms that and then uh, there's a group called CXO advisory group they track 68 experts and they looked at 6582 market forecast wow and they concluded that the average market prediction offered by experts has been below 50% accuracy so Again, flip a coin, and your odds of predicting the markets are are better. So it's hard to imagine that the average market expert isn't able to at least match the track record of a coin flip. But it's true. Um, we've got some some stats um, that I'm going to share with you in a couple minutes of some of the big names out there that they don't have a good track record. And um, yeah,
1: you know, if you're predicting the market, really, there's only two options, right? It's either going up or down. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, it's not like a multiple choice where you got four different answers. Yes. There's only two. It's up or down. <laughs> so you either got it right or wrong. Yep. You know,
2: and, and most of them get it wrong. You know,
1: they're not even measuring magnitude here. They're just saying, did it go the same direction mm-hmm. that you predicted? Well, hello, you know, it was less than fifty percent <laughs> that they predicted the right direction. So it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, they did this study from two thousand and five to two thousand and twelve. Collected over sixty five hundred forecasts from the U.S. stock market um, offered publicly by sixty eight experts. Bulls and bears, employing technical, fundamental, sentimental indicators—you name it—they had employed it. Every kind of you know forecast you could possibly make. Um, they also included some from their archives. I mean, the oldest forecast from their sample went back to 1998. It's just amazing how pathetic these yeah. forecasts were
2: and you know these some of the these were public records sometimes found on the websites of the gurus themselves sometimes on websites of other parties um business media um you know this uh, cxo group looked uh, for archives that are clearly dated and um you know to try to avoid the, the cherry picking and um you know, we've we've got some names here. I'll share with you in a minute, but uh, it's interesting. Well,
3: you know, even some of the some of the gurus they they dropped out of the race along the way, and their their record stopped at their last prediction. Uh, other gurus they cited reasons why they just so happened to not be able to predict the future. You know, and so some of them just bailed basically. And you know, this January, uh, two thousand fourteen report it marks the final tally of this project and proprietor steve lecombe basically said you know it's just not worth taking any further yeah you know we have the data here and it's showing us repeatedly again and again and again what's happening
2: yeah and there's a a graph that that they show in this article pretty interesting actually list uh individuals names jim kramer's on there less than 50 percent Uh, S&P Outlook, um, which is an organization less, maybe right at 50%, but they list probably, I don't know, 30, 40 names on here. Majority of them are under 50%. There's a couple of them that that tick uh, above that level. But it just goes to show that, guys, I mean, there are forecasts and predictions and, Recommendations all the time, and no, nobody knows. I mean, these That's guys true. that um, are supposedly experts—forty-seven percent uh, accuracy. I mean, a better plan might be to to do a plan and stick with it, and turn all the noise off. I mean, we're in an age today where uh, we're bombarded with text messages and Twitter, and you know, twenty-four-hour news stations and so forth, and it, it's easy to get caught up in that. Um, but uh, what history shows us is if you If you stay, you know, have a good diversified portfolio and you do some rebalance and you stick to a plan, historically speaking, that has worked pretty well. You haven't had to try to predict the markets and try to hit home runs, Um, you know, and so, you know, diversify and stick to a plan. And I actually, as a part of this, you know, segment, I went out and and found another article. Uh, which I found interesting, and it says A correction is coming, <laughs> so a correction of predictions yeah, a correction is defined as uh the stock market being down by ten percent or more, okay, so this article said a correction is coming don 't fear, just plan. Yeah. And so if you look back at history a little bit, it shows that stock markets do correct. It's a part of the cycle. It is coming. The question's when. That's right. And there's uh, always a correction. People have been calling that for the last three years, right? I mean and it just it hasn't happened yet. And the Dow you know, is you know in the seventeen to eighteen thousand range. S P S and P five hundred has hit new highs. Uh, small cap indexes have done well. Uh, Russell two thousand um, is up over two hundred percent since March of two thousand nine lows. So, I mean, the markets have done well, and people are out there predicting this stuff. You know, it's funny when they when they predict a correction is coming, they're right, but no one knows when. And it doesn't mean that you should necessarily get out of the market if you're diversified, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, despite the evidence that new highs are are, are bullish, um, we don't get you know them during bear markets. I mean, the commentate the 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 commentators out there and much of the news media see this as a matter of great concern. But consider some of the recent headlines. I mean, why the Dow at seventeen thousand is bound to crash? You know, with stocks. So high. Should investors move to cash? Five reasons not to watch for the stock market correction. You know, what investors are worried about today? I mean, some of these articles make for interesting reading, but, you know, not so great for investment advice. I mean, they're just all over the board here. I mean, all over the page with with headlines totally contradicting each other mm-hmm. you can't make heads or tails out of what people are predicting out there
2: that's right i mean and one of the reasons and, and guys we mentioned this a minute ago is corrections are a normal part of any market cycle i mean every market has a regular pullback and consolidations since the lows of march of 2009 it's had nine corrections ranging from about six percent to almost 22 percent um, beginning with about a nine percent decline five years ago, uh, you know from a from a recent you know um, study associated with that, if the movements are in a normal part of any market cycle, why are we so afraid of them? Um, people just don't understand this data. They are a normal part of, of any market cycle, yes. and just as we deal with you know changes of seasons, we should accept corrections as inevitable. Um, then instead of living in fear, we can prepare for what um, you know happens and and um, and do some planning associated with it.
3: Well. They are all but impossible, like you said, to forecast. As we, uh, as we have detailed many, many times, especially here on the show, people are terrible at making predictions. You draw conclusions from a single data point. Uh, you don't know what the economy is going to do or where interest rates are going to go. Forecasting the stock market is even harder. Yet people constantly, constantly, they try to time the market, pick the exact points to jump in and out of the market no one no one does it especially well and there's so many external factors mm-hmm. you know that affect the markets that you can't necessarily put on a graph that's right you that's know, exactly right predict,
2: so and if you start looking for a correction you know, I have people saying i know it's going to correct it hasn't corrected in a couple of years um your selective perception starts to take over i mean if you decide that a correction or a crash is coming you're going to be you're going to see more and more evidence as you look in all these reports that we we talk about you're going to say well russia is not doing well or europe is not doing well and, and you use those as reasons and um many times those never pan out most of the time they don't pan out so you, know, you, can, you can always find data to support your, your conclusions. Yes, that's and right.
1: Most people, they already have a conclusion about what the world looks like. Yep. So they go out and find the data to support it. And, you know, the truth is, I mean, it's it's random. There's a lot of random data out there. Yes, we kind of know where the economy is today. But as I just mentioned, all of that information is already factored into the market. That's right. The market is fairly efficient means it incorporates that information very, very quickly. It's already assimilated in the market.
2: So the bottom line is, is is don't make investing decisions based on predictions, headlines, emotions. It's very, very dangerous. And I think you you kind of alluded to that in the first segment that we talked to. You got to stay stay focused on your plan and kind of what you're trying to accomplish. Exactly. All right. Great topic, and that leads up to a close for this week's edition of Money
1: MD. Stay tuned. For our next show next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to our podcast there. You can also pick us up on iTunes. Give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Have a great weekend.